Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories in the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. Hi, I'm Ted Wilmus. I'm Thomas Yarnall. Hi, I'm Andy Nichols. I'm Pamela Crozier. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. Today we're talking all about what you can do when you get dropped into the middle of a chaotic or dysfunctional project and how you can help to get it back on track. Let's get started. So let's start off by just talking a little bit about what we mean by dysfunctional projects. Obviously, there's a wide spectrum of different kinds of projects that may have different issues with communication or organization, but uh, let's spend a little bit of time talking about kind of what we mean when we're talking about dysfunctional projects. When I think of dysfunctional projects, I think of something that's like already gone off the rails, <laughs> meaning you might not have enough resources. People might not be matching, you know, mapping back to the original requirements. You might have a stakeholder that has left the company. So there's all facets of dysfunctional projects. I think that when you're jumping in to some of those dysfunctional projects, it's like sit down, take stock of the situation. That's the first step. But taking stock of that situation, understanding what the goals are, what the scope is, what the current state really is like current state of affairs, talk to everybody on the team and see where you're starting. For me, that's what happens when I jump into those type of projects. You know, you can jump in in the beginning and the end and it could, there's any level of dysfunction that can happen. Ideally, if you start with the plan and goals, you'll be farther down the path. I think uh, another form of a uh dysfunctional uh, project of kind of just building upon what Pam said was, you know, where there isn't just kind of a, a single vision that the team's working towards. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have many different threads kind of going on all at once, but they're not actually converging on any shared vision. There can be many different reasons for that. Uh, and we see many different reasons for that, but that's a pretty common thing is where everybody isn't on the, on the same page. Yeah, I was going to say the same when you've joined something and it's obvious that there's no shared goal or well-defined goal or, or solution or delivery that's been accepted across the team and everyone's working to the same objective. That's, uh, that's one of the biggest dysfunctional things that I've found across many projects. Or too many goals, right? That right. end up being conflicting. And then or you don't know which one does follow. Interpretation, yeah, of, of the same thing. Yeah. That lack of alignment from the beginning. And I think that's where like we try to make sure even before you start those projects, meeting internally with the teams and having, you know, some people call it a charter, some people call it agreement, a working plan or working agreement, making sure that that's set up from the beginning. When you're talking about this topic of dysfunctional projects, that's not always the case. And you're having to go and backtrack. So you're adding more of that work onto it to make sure that you have the goal and the alignment. And I think one of the biggest problems is that lack of like the requirements and everybody has that different idea of the requirements. Like, is it a tool? Is it a dashboard? That type of thing is that making sure that you can get everybody together and sign off on those agreements up front is really important. Yeah, I always like um, our transition, you know, when we move out of, you know, everything, all the paperwork signed, we're now moving ahead with the project. That first step we take where we have a what we call a kickoff and mm -hmm. you've got, uh, you know, the team that you're going to be working with within the client, our own internal team, and you walk through 
the statement of work or the contract itself and actually validate that everybody understands what the intent of the, the document was and what the objectives are. I think that's always a, a really good starting point. And I've found, you know, when that hasn't happened, the, the ability for the project to kind of start to go into dysfunction is greatly increased. When you've actually sat down and talked through, you can catch you know, anomalies and disagreements very early on and address those. So I always think that's a that's a great step in our process. When we're talking about dysfunction, I'd be curious, like Thomas, you had some good examples of what happens when you come in as a tech lead and things are all over the board. Like, how do you jump in and wrangle it? What do you do? Where do you start when it's just, how do you break down everything and throw all the spreadsheets out the window and start fresh almost? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you covered a lot of the things that you need to do. It, there's a lot of overlap with what you do as a tech lead and what you do as a project manager in terms of just getting in, talking to everybody, understanding the context, trying to understand the history of why certain decisions were made. I've probably mentioned this before, but one of my favorite quotes is, uh, things are the way they are because they got that way. And uh, <laughs> understanding why did things get here? Natural desire is to want to change things, but you need to understand why are things how they are now and to understand where things are intentionally working this way and where things are dysfunctional because they haven't received enough attention yet. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting those things can creep in at any time. And that's why it's helpful mm -hmm. to have documentation or a unified vision that you can go back to that's actually written down instead of like oh yeah six months ago we all talked about it and hopefully we're all on the same page six months later when new people are joining the project or people are shuffling around or a new investor gets involved or whatever it may be like those complications and other good ideas legitimate ideas that might challenge the overall direction or, or create that dysfunction even if they are like beneficial just not timed right or not communicated right like those can get introduced at any point so having that source of truth i think is also a big part of it i think johnny you bring up a good point that people i think get a little nervous about you know you use the word documentation people think of documentation <laughs> and they're like that's like you know documents and documents and documents but really it's just like write it down you know yeah. write down that goal write down like what the latest change was particularly comes in with like scope creep and things like that like Make sure that you understand what that goal was that you wrote down and what that requirement is. So if someone mentions, oh, we want a widget instead of an application, you know, that type of thing that is you're writing it down, you're saving it later. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saving a lot of work later. As long as, and it doesn't have to be an 18 page document. It can be quick update on a confluence page with a comment. And that's what we've been trying to do more and more is across our projects, it's making sure that there's comments on the page or that you've updated a ticket or things like that that don't take a lot of time or add it to a Slack update. Just write it down. A real practical thing, there's a lot of templates out there on Confluence and yep. other places that you can find to help get past that initial staring at a blank <laughs> page, knowing you need a document or something, but what's it look like? Um, and I you can take those and make them yours. Do whatever you need to with it to find out what works for your team and your project. Doesn't have to be anything fancy either. Just, mm -mm. just note it so that it's there for future uh, you know, recollection. Because oftentimes when we're in the thick of it, uh, things just get so chaotic 
sometimes you just have to stop and breathe for a second, right? Because with everything swirling, it's like, you know, cloudy with a chance of uh, meatballs and confusion, right? Mm -hmm. And so you need to sort of uncloud all of it and almost get out of your skin and come back with another clear blank perspective to identify, you know, where are the problems coming from? What's the real reason? The, the confusion or the lack of clarity or things that are happening that uh, seem to be causing this problem. Because with a clear sort of mindset, you can often quickly identify uh, what the, the sources of the problem are. Is it requirements? Is it too few managers? Is it too many managers? Uh, right? Is it constant distractions and change of course? Yeah, I've a few times used the term baselining, which I know is not the correct term, but just calling time out. Hang on a second. Let's stop. Let's talk about where we are. Let's look at what we've still got to get done. Put it into you know priority order. Understand what the effort is against it, and whether we still have the budget to do it. You know, actually just taking that time to reset everybody's uh, expectations is is also a great way of of trying to get back under control. Doesn't always work. You know, a recent project that uh, I've been on with some people with baseline now about five times and we, you know, it just, it works for a short period of time, but, you know, then the, uh, the communication problems start and the misunderstandings or people get redirected to other priorities and we're back in that dysfunctional method again. So using that is a, is a very, very positive tool sometimes. Yeah. It really helps to go back to what are the requirements? Let's restrain our scope so that we don't try to, build the world here and get back to what is our task at hand? What are the business goals that we need to achieve here? What are the real parameters that we're operating in? And every time that we've done that, that's really helped to constrain and define the work that we have at hand. Right. And even in those situations, you're not even necessarily saying no to the other ideas. It's more of a let's gather around and, and make sure we're all on the same page in terms of priority. And like we were saying earlier, you can still write For down sure. the other ideas that come up or the other directions that are mentioned and say, okay, we can revisit that, but let's remember this is the priority. Right. You're, you know, you're, you're consistently building that backlog. Yeah. And I think one thing that you touched on, Andy, was making sure that you, know, you have the right resource allocation, you have the right people on the team, because that can also lead to chaos. Not that they're not doing a good job, but they might be mismatched for that particular project at hand. And better somewhere else so you have to we also have to make sure that we have the right people on these projects and if we need to make a change that we've communicated it clearly we're adaptable we're kind we're making sure that that people understand the reason for moves we've run into that a couple times you know and then just making sure that you're responsive and and that you're working as a team to get through that chaos yeah i think sometimes for me it's helpful to think about rarely is a project entirely dysfunctional. Sometimes right. it is, but most of the time it's not. And so thinking about how you can kind of firewall off that source of dysfunction as much as possible mm -hmm. and kind of create, you know, from a software development kind of standpoint, almost like an integration point between the dysfunction and the functional part and do your best to not fall back into bad habits because of the dysfunction. Cause it's, it's easy to make excuses just when you're in a chaotic environment because you know everything's crazy and everything's dysfunctional so it's helpful for me at least to 
kind of try to figure out where that handoff should be, where you can do almost kind of like some cleanup. And then ideally behind that handoff point from that part of this team standpoint, it should not be a dysfunctional project. <laughs> That's, you know, hard to do that, but it, at a minimum, it should be a less dysfunctional project than the rest of it. So I think trying to think how, how you can really control at least the pieces you have control over uh, and identify those is, is pretty important. And I think what you said, Ted, uh, really uh, makes sense because all dysfunction is not the same, right? You have to define the dysfunction. A dysfunction for a startup is very different than, you know, a large, well-established monolith, right? Startups are uh, really uh, working in a lot of dysfunction by design uh, because that's just how they are. So there's a higher appetite for that. Uh, and then, you know, what one person might define as dysfunction, another may not. So it's also a personality type thing, right? So it's really important to like define it, write it down, you know, again, document it. Uh, and then you can collectively decide, hey, is this really dysfunction or is it just, you know, some early stage discovery or is it, you know, what, what have you, right? There can be different mm -hmm. things that someone might be blowing out of proportion, whereas others feel there's no need to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a good point. The levels of dysfunction, Kareem. Mm -hmm. Just make a chart. <laughs> I mean, and I wouldn't say all of it's rare, right? That there's a lot of dysfunctional projects. Most of ours run pretty smoothly, but I would think that, you know, every once in a while you get one of those that's just, you have to stop and wrap your arms around it and say, how are we going to get over this quick hump? Yeah, I think it's very similar to conflict in projects. Like mm -hmm. there's going to be some level of miscommunication or misunderstanding or dysfunction. And that can either be seen as a threat or as an opportunity to say, okay, we need to pause. We need to take this opportunity to get on the same page. And then from there, make improvements and make everything hopefully go more smoothly. There's always potential for that to blow up in your face, I suppose. But I think when you frame it as an opportunity rather than a threat, it can kind of help bring everyone's temperature down a little bit. Because when you say dysfunction, people can get kind of tense, like, right. oh, are you accusing me of causing, you know, whatever it is, like, it kind of goes hand in hand with conflict in projects. But um, yeah, I think the way you frame it and approach it can make all the difference. And I mean, it really so, is looking at like risk mitigation, right? Mm -hmm. Risk management. It's also okay to step outside of just the project as well. When you see some recent instances, we saw some organizational dysfunction and communication issues, and it's okay to bring suggestions to the table to create new processes and, mm -hmm. and apply those processes and offer to own those processes and monitor and track and keep people, you know, educate people into that. Uh, a lot of, startup companies bring you know great skills to the table but not necessarily the experience in software design and implementation that, that we're familiar with so there's also great opportunity to to help companies in terms of building process and um, standards and best practices yeah i think it's important not to be too proprietary about what your you know job title is like oh i'm a senior software developer that's all i do like yeah. great that's awesome um but there's like andy says lots of opportunity to fill in the gaps that perhaps the customer doesn't have a skill set for so i think one of the things we're particularly good at is approaching things from more of a generalist perspective and 
folks are generally very interested in learning more about the subject area that they're working in, et cetera, et cetera, not just purely heads down on engineering work, even though that is a big part of it. It is a good opportunity to show your chops, right? Uh, like, hey, we can manage this function and still get around it. And, you know, we're experienced and we know how to navigate around these types of things. So you can also look at it as a, an opportunity, right? And I'll make a controversial statement where it's like, I'd say a little bit of dysfunction is probably a good thing, right? Uh, it adds a little bit of excitement instead of just, you know, completely just boring, right? A, a movie without an antagonist is not that great. Everyone's living in a neighborhood. They're all peaceful. Uh, everyone's happy. The end. Okay, great. Um, right. That's so, so sometimes the, some ups and downs just uh, keep, keep you on your toes too, right? So as we said, it gives you opportunities to upskill and uh, get better at uh, things in your role and introduce new processes, as Andy said, right? Or, you know, make, make things better and have some lessons learned that you take out of this uh, and then apply it to future projects. Well, let's take it from abstract to a little bit more concrete. I'm curious, you know, we've talked kind of higher level about some good ideas, some good approaches, but, you know, let's take the example where, say, you're parachuting into a project that started eight months ago started smoothly, but it's kind of ballooned out of control. You're joining with a team of three or four others um, who have been on the project for a long time. And you have a team of, you know, two or three that are joining in and things are just crazy and chaotic. No one really knows what's going on or what the goal is anymore. Where do you start? What do you do? And how do you get things back on track? I think going back to what we talked about initially is that you need to just take stock of the situation, right? Understand the goal, understand the scope, state of affairs as it is. And then more importantly, understand your role, right? You want to make sure that you're not stepping on toes. Like if you've been asked to come in and help, make sure that you're helping as a partner and that your help is welcome and that you're respecting others' roles. I think that's really important to, you know, to know where the roles are, know where the trouble is, um, and just be adaptable and responsive and focused. Yeah, I think this is, is a tough one sometimes, but you need to be willing to have respectful, but frank conversations mm -hmm. with people on the Expiro side and the customer side doesn't necessarily mean that'll make something better for sure. But back to the whole point on communication, sometimes, you know, it's easy for people just to maybe somebody else like Kareem, I think you're saying doesn't think this thing's dysfunctional at all. It's fine. <laughs> this is how I do it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, feels good just being a tornado running around all the time. So, um, <laughs> So, but in most cases, people are very reasonable. And if you have a discussion with them, that may in and of itself help clear things up. If it doesn't, they probably at least have a better understanding of where we're coming from. And it might make it a little bit easier for us to kind of bridge that gap between a dysfunctional area and the functional area uh, and, and do that out in the open. Yeah, I think it's important to get the, the big issues out as quickly as possible as well. Don't sugarcoat them. Like right. if there really is a budget problem, there's a budget problem. You know, everybody needs to know that, including the sponsors. If there's a communication issue, you know, that's a relatively easy one to fix. You can you can set up various different meetings and channels and status reports, you know, just to, to resettle the communication. But uh, get any of the issues that, that you think are fundamentally undermining the project out as quickly as possible. And then track them, report back on them. 
um, as, as they start to get better or if they don't get better, make sure that's continually raised in a forum where everybody can participate and give uh, you know good feedback. I think Andy, something that you always do really well on your projects is you're transparent about everything. You have that communication. So I think that that's something that's really important. What you're talking about is like being transparent with, if there's a problem, let's just talk about it and let's put it on the table. Yeah, I, I think that's really important because mm -hmm. if you don't if you don't put something out on the table and two weeks goes by, maybe you can recover. If you don't say it again and four weeks go by, then it's you know it's expanding and growing. So, and the other thing is, if the team is unaware of what the final goal is, I, fi I find this a lot on projects where the development team everything's fine, everything's moving, but the development team really doesn't have a feel for what the bigger picture is like what's the roadmap what are we trying this is to ted's point earlier what's the you know the real objective that we're trying to get to and deliver on um, and keeping the development team up to speed on changes or things that are impacting that from a business perspective or a financial perspective really helps them you know think about things in a different different light as well yeah people yeah. along those lines in software, not only software development, but software development, every member of the team usually has a very wide kind of latitude as far as how they can execute their job, I think. And that goes all the way from the, the developer who's, you know, just out of college all the way up to the PM. We, we put a lot of trust in the people that are working for us. Mm -hmm. And so every day they're making hundreds of decisions. And to Andy's point, if they do not have the necessary context, take the person, you know, right out of college, maybe working on, I got a ticket. It came down from the sky. You know, I have a single <laughs> ticket. Okay. I'm working on my ticket. Great. Usually, uh, hopefully it's more than just, you know, a title on a JIRA story, but if you got it from me, that might be it. Um, so you got that, <laughs> but you don't even know, like, is this, is this a spike? Is this a more production feature? Who's going to, you know, whatever. There, there's all different dimensions that go into how much time should I spend on this, et cetera, et cetera. Without that information, you're just, you're doing your own thing and you're going to make your kind of best guess. So one thing uh, that I find challenging and is important to do though, is to try to figure out how better to up and down that whole stack, like Andy's saying, communicate the right context which could be involved confluence documentation or meetings or you know whatever the different uh, medium is to give that necessary context so people can make the right decision because we are asking them to make hundreds of decisions every week yeah communication is very key and oftentimes the reason you are in the state of dysfunction is likely a lack of communication that happened when it needed to right if you're parachuting into this or maybe more likely got pushed off the plane and uh, landed in the spot you are. Uh, the, the first <laughs> thing is really, you know, uh, survey the land and uh, info gathering, right? That's the first thing you should be doing. You don't want to take over anyone's uh, positions or strip them of the responsibilities. Your job really is go talk to everyone, go talk to them some more, uh, get all the info you can, read the documentation before you start making any decisions, right? Uh, and then once you've gathered that info, communicate that to the team, give them the context. Here's what I understood. Uh, here's the status. Does everyone agree? 
And then from there, you sort of have a common branching off point to now start making decisions to get to the functional from the dysfunction, right? If you arrive at an emergency scene, you first want to know what types of hair on fire stuff you're dealing with, right? Which chemical do you want to use on the fire? You're not just going to jump in and take a pipe and just start spraying it all over the place. You might spread the fire more. You want to use the right tools and the right uh, answers to the job. Yeah, you have to do your triage, right? <laughs> mm, yeah. So let's say you've dropped into a project, you've identified areas of dysfunction. Uh, maybe you and a couple other people on the team are aware there's an issue and things need to change, but maybe there are some people on the team that are resistant to change. Or let's say, you know, maybe everyone is aware that, hey, there are things we need to work out here, but you try introducing new methodologies or new tools or new systems to get things going and it's just not working, like you're still hitting brick walls. Uh, what do you do in that situation? So whether there's resistance or just like things aren't clicking when you do try to introduce those changes. Yeah, I think that goes back to, well, one, communication, but mm -hmm. it's more of addressing those in smaller bits and pieces, right? So it's not coming and saying, okay, everyone, we've changed it. We're going to be breaking down the work this way. We're going to be using this tool and you have to do it this way, right? So I think it's very much of we've found the problem, we've addressed the problem, or we've gone back to the statement of work, we're mapping it back one for one, this is how we need to deliver things. And then you just take it baby steps almost, I know it's mm -hmm. a lack for lack of a better term. And just meeting with the team, you know, it's, if you have to have five meetings a day, have five meetings a day, or if you need to meet with one person at a time, then do it that way until you get consensus. I think that, you know, for the most part, people aren't resistant to change for the better. You know, they, they want things to be better. So they'll be eager to help work it out. The people we have here, it's like, it's like, oh, let's make it better. What do we need to do? Like, you know, <laughs> jump on the wagon. So um, most people know when, yeah, they a, know. well, if, you, if you're in a project that's dysfunctional, you know, you know, it's dysfunctional. And so most people are willing to, you know, move and change and try different things. And so collectively the team, moves it along mm -hmm. and if you do have individuals that still want to fall outside of that you can if it gets really bad you can address the you know the individual issue but for the most part the team will will kind of force everybody into a into the right pattern as long as the proposals you know make sense and and everyone's buying into it which you know for the most part people do i think too i think kind of like Kareem said earlier about, you know, people have different definitions of dysfunction. It's probably, it's important when you're talking to stakeholders to sometimes communicate in terms of kind of where the dysfunction is affecting them specifically from there, you know, you're, maybe they're not giving you great requirements or something like that. And you're like, man, this is just a problem. We can't keep our backlog full, et cetera, et cetera. You tell a non-software development person you start talking about backlogs and stuff they're like what are you talking about yeah but if you put it in terms like oh you're supposed to go present at a conference in two weeks and do a demo there's no way that's happening like there's always an underlying kind of physics of any project there's a fixed amount of people at least within any particular time there's only so much can that can be done and no matter how you beat around the bush, like you're only get done what you can get done in that amount of time. And so 
I think it's important to just make sure you're putting things in terms that the other person's going to care about. They might not care about the particular thing that, that you care about or be affected about it in the same way, but they will be affected by it <laughs> some way. So, yeah, you need to know who your audience is that you're talking to and how to get their buy-in to what you're trying to get across. Because like you said, you're going to use different words and talk about different parts of the system to a developer than you would to someone who's leading the business. And knowing your audience is really important in having those conversations and getting your point across in a way that they understand. I think sometimes it's it's also helping them to learn what some of the software development process is like and how it works. If they don't have a lot of experience with that or aren't very familiar with it, then they don't necessarily have the same mental framework around this is usually how things go or we, we've got these two steps. Well, we need to insert three more steps in here. This is what they typically look like. And here's where it benefits you, audience member that I'm talking to. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think educating uh, stakeholders that may, maybe haven't been exposed to software development before, if you, if you just think like, oh, it's like building a house or something. Well, I guess on a certain level. Um, but uh, I feel like there's there's ways that we can help folks build up a little bit better mental model around that. And then I think it's easier for them and probably more pleasant for them to to, to work with us. I agree. Sometimes just letting them know what the limits are and why, right? They see software as this sort of this virtual thing, right? You can change course in a whim and, you know, in with the house, you can't. But with software, oh, yeah, it's a software. You can do whatever, right? You can change uh, on a moment's notice. And sometimes you then suffer from uh, senior managers uh, just doing flybys, right? Uh, you know, they're giving you direction one every which way, and there's a lot of interruptions. You know, it, it throws the team off because then they lose their momentum. And too much of that, and you end up just thrashing, right? You're sort of turning your head every which way and swirling, but not really making any progress. And then you sort of, in this tornado, where it's not really going anywhere and uh, things are getting worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think intuition uh, doesn't always work in the software case. So you could, you know, a stakeholder says, I want this screen to be look totally different, different colors, it's only front end change. It takes a week or something. Then they come back and they say, we need to add this one number onto this report. And it turns out you're like, that's going to take six months. They're like, what? <laughs> just, yeah. it was, it's one number. <laughs> well, there's a lot underneath the covers there. So it's it's that sort of uh, education, I think, that's important. And explaining your process as you're going through it. So you're being transparent and building up trust, I think. Because I think another reason dysfunction can arise is if you know you just don't have that trust due to communication or, or whatever the, that's in place. That's a big one, Ted, is the trust. Yeah. And the trust of the stakeholders and the decision makers, which could be two mm -hmm. completely different people, mm -hmm. teams. Yeah. Without kind of like a mutual respect and trust, which mm -hmm. not saying that needs to just be automatically there day one, especially when you're working with somebody new. Um, but if you can't get to that where somebody can kind of offload some of that decision-making even onto us, knowing that we are all working towards the same thing, it can become uh, just very difficult to communicate. I think it's really important to celebrate the wins and 
even within a project that might be a little more chaotic than the next, there's always a win in a project. So, um, you know, I think we talked about earlier is like small wins are still wins. And so I, I want to be mindful of teams when, when people think, oh, this is just going down the wrong way, but there's still successes within the project. Um, and then I always welcome help if someone's coming to help. Um, on a project or if someone or someone needs help, I'm always willing to give it or, you know, bring a different different perspective on that project. Yeah, that's a lot like building a the team culture. You know, if you if you've got a set of processes and everyone's bought into it and everyone's working towards it and everyone's encouraged to participate, it naturally builds trust, which was mentioned earlier, and can can lead to a much more productive environment. If communication is poor and everyone's you know just off in their corners without that sharing it can it can be very hard to keep people on track so i think that's that's a very important thing to build you know openness and trust across the team no matter what level it doesn't matter if it's the junior programmer to the you know senior leader that participation has to be you know engaging and positive you know as much as you can make it mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just getting folks in the habit of a continuous improvement mindset, whether the project's dysfunctional or not, which I see just very commonly as people are always coming up with new ideas to make things better. And maybe the only difference on a particularly dysfunctional project is kind of maybe the, the magnitude of, of change that perhaps needs to happen. But, but really, it's kind of the same thing, I think. You know, once you find yourself in the middle of a situation, and uh, you know you feel overwhelmed because it's like how are you going to get through this pam said it earlier but you just take it you know a step at a time instead of trying to tackle the whole staircase at once right it's like what are the what's the next step i do what's the next step i do okay now after that let's evaluate and then uh, judge the next step we want to do uh, and so once you're past that denial where hey i am you know not in a dysfunctional situation and you accept that yes this is dysfunctional uh, then you don't know, just take it small pieces of action at a time thanks for connecting with us today if you have a complex software problem that needs solving thoughts on what we discussed today or ideas on what topics we should tackle next feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experiowink.com or on Twitter at Expiro Inc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time.